Hello, my name's Kai. I'm Sean. I'm George. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> yeah, so today we will be doing our first interview on the Shy Guys podcast. Yep. So with our interviews, we've been thinking about a lot of people that we'd like to interview, you know, whether they're someone well-known, whether they're some of our close friends, but yep. in general, we want to interview people who have left a lasting impact on our lives. And so today we have a very special guest, Georgina Lee. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi, guys. Well, hi. Hello, the shy guys. <laughs> Hello. 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 So yes, George is my manager now. She used to be my mentor, but yeah, but now we're working together. Did you want to have a brief introduction for yourself, George? Or? Yeah, sure. Well, given we started off with the work conversation, oh, um, yeah. in terms of who I am at work, uh, I lead a, a team called Growth and Experience in uh, Mercer's career consulting business. Um, and what that means is we look for opportunities within the business to support our growth. So whether that is developing new products and services for our business, uh, looking at areas to improve the way we work within the organization that helps us grow, um, and also looking at how we improve the client experience and the way we deliver work for our clients. So that's my work side. That was a pretty, and pretty, pretty long pitch. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was very well summarized. Very well like, summarized. The team does a lot of things, let's just say. Yeah. And Kai just recently joined our team. Um, mm. So Kai was initially um, introduced to me maybe about a year and a half ago yep. um, as a mentee. So my old boss in Mercer had Kai in his team. And he thought there was a lot of similarities that he saw in Kai when I was in his team many years ago, thought that I would be a good mentor to Kai and introduce the two of us. Mm. And so we had a mentoring relationship for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And Kai um, had a lot of interesting skill sets that I thought would be very useful for my team. And so <laughs> essentially I stole him from my old manager. Very, very, <laughs> very, very honest. <laughs> I wanted to you raise a really interesting point, how you said you saw a lot in Kai of yourself. What in particular would that be? Probably this, uh, the growth mindset, I would say. Kai mm. is a very curious person, likes to ask lots of great questions, very curious in learning new things, even at, even if it has nothing really to do with his role or his, you know, areas of interest. Um, he, yeah, asked a lot of good questions when we were, you know, having our meetings, our mentoring meetings. And so uh, I saw that curiosity as a sort of great, quality and I actually had that a lot myself as well wanting mm. to learn new things yeah. um, and having that mindset opens up a whole lot of really interesting opportunities for you in your career and so mm. Um, mm. yeah because that happened to me and so I'm now seeing it in someone else and I wanted to pay it forward by you know helping another person with sort of that style thinking yep. progress in their career okay so there's there, there's how you know Kai what about Kai, why did you want to get George talking on our podcast? George is a very creative person. And I feel like a lot of creative people, I guess, you know, when they graduate from university, they're not sure where to go, where to start their career. And they struggle a lot with 
should, should I just be an accountant and just work and slave away and not utilize my creative side? Or can I actually find a job where I can use both skill sets, being creative and adding value with my artist side? You don't have to have just a creative side. You can also have a logical side, but how do you kind of mix them together to create something amazing? I feel like George has gone through a lot of struggles too, actually, being a very creative person in the workplace and you were able to navigate it. And I think you're still continuously learning from yeah. it. Yeah. And I guess I just want to talk about how I perceived George as a mentor when I first met George. So when George's old boss and my boss at the time said, oh, I'm setting George up as your mentor. I was like, okay, it's time to be really serious. It's time to like, okay, shake your hand and everything. And like, you know, say, hey, how are you? What are your goals? And, you know, and, and basically structure a mentor relationship. And then when I first met George, this is what George said to me. Oh my God, my iPhone's not working. Far out. <laughs> Company iPhones just are so bad. Can't do anything about it. And straight away I was like, wow, that's really unprofessional. <laughs> um, um, yeah, and then I remember we just went for a walk and talked about the iPhone problem for like five, ten minutes. And I was giving suggestions like, oh, maybe we can go to IT and... You know, yeah, being honest, like and, little mentee. Fix it and fix it, you know. Um, but yeah, and then naturally our uh, mental relationship progressed and I really wanted to understand George's position. Mm. Like what value does she add to the company? And then what I started to find was that my skill set in my old team was actually transferable to this team. Thinking outside the box, mm. understanding client needs and developing solutions that align with those needs. Mm. And uh, yeah, it, was, it just seemed very inspiring to me. So that's, yeah, that's how I saw George in the beginning. Well, that's how you got yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's why we're interviewing George today. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, great. Now that I've talked about how I perceived George as a mentor, that's quite a funny story. And we're touching on what you were like when you first started your career. Mm. How did you start your career and what were your thoughts? Yeah, so I studied uh, a double degree in commerce and mechanical engineering in my undergrad at Monash University. Halfway throughout my degree, I think I was maybe three and a half, four years into my five-year degree, and I had a bit of an existential crisis. I actually wanted to quit that degree and go and study fine arts at the VCA, which is the Victorian College of the Arts in Melbourne, which mm. is, you know, very renowned art school. Yeah. Um, and so I said to my parents uh, that I wanted to quit my undergrad and go do study art. And being the Asian parents that they are, they said no. <laughs> they said, you're almost finished in your five-year degree. Get that done, get a proper job, and then you can think about art. And so at the time, obviously, I was very upset about that. Um, but... There's not much you can do when you've got Asian parents and you're still living at home and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's just a cultural thing, I suppose. But that's okay. I, you know, continued to finish my degree. And in my last year my in uni, I started looking for graduate jobs. That's when a lot of the grad jobs come up for mm. um, application. And I hit another... Um, existential crisis I was looking at all the different types of roles you know yeah. potentially investment banking working in engineering mm. consulting working all like you know these corporate jobs and they just looked they just sounded so bleak for me like yeah. you know I, mm. I'm, I'm inside an artist I want to be creative and I the idea of spending the rest of my life Sitting in an office was the most depressing thing in the world. And just to, just to cut in, I guess yeah. for like 
for what was it five or six years mm. you, was that in particular already a struggle do you feel like every day-to-day at university you weren't enjoying yourself or? no at the start I really enjoyed it because the reason why I chose engineering mm. was because I had this pipe dream of wanting to be an aerodynamicist for a Formula One team wow that was my <laughs> dream right because okay. I loved Formula One I was a rev head um, yeah. and so that's all I kind of wanted to do at the time but when you're like you know, 16, 17, and you're thinking about what you want to do at uni, a lot changes between those years. years. Mm. I realized that, you know, working in a Formula One team, yes, people do end up working in Formula One teams, but the the rate of success in going to work for Formula One team is actually very low. And I also, my interests changed a lot when I was in uni. And that drive to want to work in Formula One really kind of went away and if I didn't have that motivation there was no chance I was going to end up working in Formula One I really wanted to embrace that creative side that I've always kind of suppressed I suppose and so yeah so that's how I came about wanting to change and that was more you know midpoint Mm. towards the end of my degree when I started to really want to move into that creative space I also wanted to actually maybe keep my engineering degree and then move drop my commerce degree and then um pick up industrial design. Because oh, it okay. kind of aligns yes, with <clears throat> that's right. Right, yeah. right. So yeah. I contacted the head of industrial design at Monash University and I said I was interested in mm. coming across. I asked him, what would I need to do in order to get in? And the way he approached it was so condescending. He was oh. like, you just need to learn how to draw a 3D object um, and all these types of things without even asking me show me some of your work yeah yeah you know right. he kind of put me down and and that was a huge you know that really demotivated me from wanting to go and yeah, study that I because yeah. i wouldn't want to study under a department yeah, of a leader that you know was so condescending and so in the end i just decided to just finish my commerce yeah, and yeah. mechanical engineering degrees mm. and then try and get a job somewhere yeah. Yeah. so i eventually long story short i applied for a bunch of million grad positions <laughs> and i eventually ended up at mercer I started off as a graduate at Mercer as an actuarial analyst, Whoa. which basically was full-on quant work. It's a lot of maths. Staring at spreadsheets every single day, uh, financial modeling, you know, all that kind of analytical stuff, yeah. which was fine at the start because it's all, it's new. all new, right? I was yeah. learning new things. It's very interesting. And applying all the things I studied at university in a, in a practical way was, was good. Yeah. But obviously, a year into it, of staring at spreadsheets every single day and writing sort of client reports based on the numbers that the spreadsheet spat out, was just not creative whatsoever. And I felt I was doing the same thing every single day. Um, I wasn't challenged in the ways that I wanted to be challenged. Um, And then I got my you know second wave of existential crisis going oh my god i've got a proper job now but i thought this was the third wave right? yeah, 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 probably, yeah third wave sorry that's right um third wave and i'm going okay what do i what, what do i do now like i'm a year into my professional life this is not where i want it yeah. to go yeah and so then i thought maybe i'll go back into engineering or something yeah you know something i was qualified for and then i just so happened to be speaking to another consultant at work who wasn't actuary but she was working on some really interesting client projects. And I said, how do I work on some of these other things where I can bring some critical thinking and maybe some creative thinking to it? And so I then had a coffee with the manager that 
Oh, Kai had. That's how, oh. it, that's how it happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because he started off as an actuary analyst too. He did. But, yeah. That's right. But he was doing something very different. And mm. so I'm like, I wanted to understand what that career pathway was. Because at the moment, at the time, all I could see was being very spreadsheet mm-hmm. and being destined to be an actuary, which it I was wasn't like really analyst, analyst, that excited. Following yeah. that path. Yeah, just yeah. following a very linear path. And, yeah. you know, I knew deep down that wasn't right for me. And so... Yeah. Um, so I explored a new role in a consulting sort of capacity and I eventually moved into his team. When I was in his team, I was working on superannuation governance projects. Mm. That was, again, exciting at the start because it was new and I was learning new things. Yeah. But after a while, again, same kind of <laughs> fourth wave of existential crisis, yeah. not where I want to be. You experience these crises a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do because I think about, you know, like, yeah. I, it's really important to me to be spending my time in an area where I love because yeah. you know life is short yeah yeah, yeah you want to do what you enjoy yeah exactly yeah, exactly and then i thought maybe i was just being you know um uh, optimistic about that maybe mm. you know there there is people do need to live their lives and you know pay their bills and maybe yeah. they work in jobs that they yeah. don't care about yeah. and maybe that's just normal way of life maybe that's know? just reality maybe that's just reality thing. exactly yeah, yeah. so i was having a bleak um you know view on life and that was when i thought you know what I'm just going to enroll in art school and uh, see what happens. So I'm going to build up a portfolio of work. Mm. And if I get into art school full time, I'm going to quit my job. Mm -hmm. That was my thinking at the time. And so that's what I did. I started going to nighttime art school studio art classes to get all my um, portfolios up to scratch. Mm. I was also, I also did a graduate diploma at Melbourne University in art history part-time as well. Um, So I was juggling this stuff outside of work and then working my corporate job. And then during that year of studying art history and working on my art portfolio, that made me feel a little bit better in terms of where my life was going Mm. because Mm. I was having this creative outlet outside of work. But what was really interesting was at that time I thought there's no way my creative life and my corporate life could ever intersect. intersect. Yeah. yeah. I always thought they had to be completely separate things. Yeah. yeah. Um, Because from what I saw, the corporate world was just not creative at Mm. all. Like, mm. I, I just couldn't see, you know, where you could apply your creativity skills. Yeah. So during that year, though, I kept talking about my art. I kept talking about art history. And our marketing manager at the time said to me, she goes, there's this deck that we're pulling together for a client. It's very technical. It's very complicated. Yeah. And it looks very ugly. <laughs> Do you reckon you can apply some of your art skills and your creativity to, jazz it, to jazz it up a bit? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I love this stuff. So she gave me the deck and I looked at it and I almost vomited. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what is this? How can we expect a client to understand or get anything useful out of this Mm. deck? And so what I did was I read through the whole thing. I spoke to the actor who wrote it as well, understood Mm. what are the key bits of information that the client needs to know and understand. Yeah. And then I used my sort of visual skills as well as my technical skills and created these infographics, I suppose, that Mm. brought the content to life. And I didn't think it was a special skill at the time. I just thought I was just trying to make it simpler. Yeah. And I gave it back to the marketing manager and she was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Mm. Where did this come from? Like, where did you get the skills to do this? I said, I don't know. I just have really strong visual skills. Can I I add to that? Like, I feel like, being able to make something very complex into a very simple thing mm-hmm. is a very valuable skill. Yeah, and underutilized. Underutilized. Yeah. Like explaining, yeah, yeah. very complex topics yeah. and making 
anyone understand it is like very powerful yeah yeah, yeah. to make something simple is actually very complicated but um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah at the time when you're early 20s new in the workforce you don't know what skills are actually valued yeah, yeah you, you just exactly. don't know what you can bring that would be something that would be useful yeah and so eventually i learned oh actually it's a skill mm. uh, that i had that not a lot of people had because yeah. you know a team of actuaries no yeah. one really had that visual skill set yeah, you know yeah. no one really thought differently i yeah. suppose yeah. they were very analytical and very detailed oriented yeah, yeah. Um, and so i came at it with from a different perspective and so the rest of the business started getting wind of my skill set that I had. And yeah. so everyone came to me and was like, oh, you know, I've got this deck. <laughs> <laughs> so you became that. Yeah, yeah, I became that person. That, I became the person. PowerPoint bitch. Like, you know, <laughs> like, like, seriously. But it was really annoying in a sense because, yes, I loved working on it. But people didn't understand what value it brought. So yeah. people just thought the design element that I added to their slides was just about making it pretty. Mm. Oh, yeah, you know? they say understandable. That. It's yeah. yeah, it's not about making it pretty. Mm-hmm. It's full on communication skills. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so that annoyed me a, a little bit because I don't think people really understood what I was actually doing. Mm. Yes, yeah. it looked great. Yeah. But it's not just about aesthetics, it's about how you communicate ideas. Yeah. Exactly. Um yeah. so anyway, that was when I started to realize that actually I had this skill set where I could marry my creative Mm. visual you know side Mm. of me with my technical and logical thinking and that really was the start of when my career started to propel but in terms of my role I still wasn't where I wanted to be and so Mm. I kept continuing with my art school stuff and eventually my role at work uh, because I realized that I had this skill they moved me to the business development team and I wasn't responsible for sales or anything, yeah. but what yeah. I did was support the business in terms of telling the story of what we do to clients better. Yeah, so sort of yeah. designing value propositions, yeah. Yeah. Um, creating pitch decks that looked amazing and mm. communicated really well, yeah. writing our proposals in a way that was more um, you know, easier to read, there was a story to mm. it, yeah. coming in from an outside-in perspective, understanding yeah. clients' needs, all those types of things. Yep. Um, and so... It was my creative outlet whilst it wasn't, you know, doing an oil painting. I was um, able to still think outside the box and add value in different ways. And it wasn't process driven, you know. And so because I was getting that satisfaction from work, I felt I didn't have to go to art school full time anymore. I didn't Mm. have to quit my job anymore. Work became something that I actually kind of enjoyed. (laughs) In the end, I, I still got into art school, but I did it part time. Yeah. And so I was managing my art practice outside of work and, and then, you know, still had this corporate day job. So, George, I wanted to, to delve further into the part where you said people said uh, people saw your slides as just prettying, prettying mm. things up. Right. It didn't really add true value. But so how did you overcome those those naysayers or those people who didn't believe that it was true value? Because what I what I think is when you create a very good deck, it's simply effective communication mm. when you have a slide with too many words on it and it's just everywhere mm. the clients don't appreciate what the product actually is mm. so how did you deal with that that um those situations yeah so uh, i dealt it in, in several ways the f- whenever someone comes up to me and says here's a deck can you make it pretty i say actually my job is not to make it pretty my Ooh. job is to communicate your ideas in a better way and I kind of train them as they, when they say make things pretty, I always yeah. like try and like 
No, it's not about making things pretty. Yeah. Yeah. It's about better communication. Yeah. So I try to sort of nip it at the bud then. Yeah. But that doesn't always help. Mm. People still think I'm it the person. It doesn't change the mindset. Their words doesn't may change, change the mindset. Their mindset exactly. yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's a sieve. Like I say that and they don't absorb. And I think they eventually get it when their clients appreciate it. Mm. And before you know it, the same consultant that you thought didn't get it keeps coming back to me yeah. for help You're because right. obviously their clients are liking what they see. Yeah. And so you can change that mindset by consistently delivering good work and yeah. delivering that value that you want to bring to that business. Right, right. There will always be people who still don't get it. Yeah. And trust me, now, even as in a much senior role now at Mercer, people still don't really understand the mm. importance of good and clean and simple to understand yeah. communication. Yeah. Um, I still see PowerPoint decks that look yeah. I don't know, like horrible and give me a rash and allergic <laughs> reaction when yeah. I see it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a thing that you know takes time. Mm. You, I always think about that sort of you know when you take a new product to market. Yeah, there's always your early adopters. Then you start getting people realizing, oh, actually, what's this thing? And mm. then you know yeah. you hit the mainstream market, yeah. and then yeah. eventually you get the laggards, you know. Yeah. And so every every new thing that I introduce to work that is mm. different. Yeah. Um, I always will assume that not everyone will understand it, yeah. but there will be early adopters. Yeah. And so I then find those early adopters and work with them because mm. they get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it comes with anything creative, everything outside the box, not yeah. just PowerPoint decks. Yeah. Um, if you're bringing a new form of thinking and a new way of working into the workplace, there'll always be naysayers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're not the ones I want to work with. I want to find yeah. the ones who understand it and get it. Yeah, I, f- I feel like it never yeah. starts with a big bang affecting everyone. Yeah. It starts yeah. with a very small group. Yes. Yeah. And once you convert them into believing what you believe, yes. they will naturally spread the word because right. it's adding so much value mm. to their work. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And then yeah. suddenly people start coming to you like, hey, George, I heard you're that, that You're help. that person yeah. who does this. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Help, help me. Yeah. Oh, so what my question is, what if a person isn't very... um design thinking like they, they can't design awesome decks can it be learnt what do you think uh yes to an extent it can be learnt so there are basic you know graphic design skills mm. that anyone can sort of mm. learn and foundations and things yeah. the harder part is knowing what information to keep in uh-huh. and what information to keep out yeah how do you simplify writing yeah so there's a lot of sort of skills when it comes to building a good deck you know you mm. need story step storytelling skills yep. you need to how to write succinctly using the right words yep. you need to use the right visuals to emphasize your ideas mm. you know those those are the harder parts yeah. to learn but it's not impossible yeah and i think over time you know practice is makes perfect yeah. i certainly you know wasn't amazing at the start yeah but yeah it's it, people thought you were yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so wow so george i can tell that you're very good at decks so obviously that's not <laughs> you know the only thing that you're good at and like how did you get from creating decks to where you are today yeah, good question. Uh, so <clears throat> that whole deck story was really about how I first discovered that I had a unique skill set. Yeah. But actually, it wasn't really about just the PowerPoint decks, obviously. Yep. It was about, I suppose, the, the way I think. And I actually didn't realize the impact of, you know, having that good balance between 
the creative, you know, right brain and mm. your logical sort of left brain thinking until I was tapped on the shoulder from our CEO here in Mercer, Australia, who asked me whether or not I wanted to work with him um, as his chief of staff. Wow. And so, you know, here I was in one part of the Mercer business, yeah. suddenly having this opportunity to work alongside our CEO yeah. as his chief of staff and with the Mercer Australia leadership team, you know, yeah. that was huge. And I remember sitting at a cafe uh, talking to, you know, the CEO and I asked him, why is it that you picked me to mm. want to work with you? Yeah. And he said, well, actually, you have a really good, from what I see, you have a really good balance of left brain and right brain thinking. Mm. You're both logical and analytical and can understand the detail and technical side of things. Yep. But at the same time, you've got this creative side of your brain. Yep. You can think differently. You can think outside mm. the box. And he wanted more diversity on his team yep. that can bring that style of thinking into the business. Right, right. And it was at that moment where I kind of, you know, that light bulb moment in your head where it's like, oh, that's what it is. Yeah. That, that's why, you know, I've had the opportunities that I've had to date, you yeah. know, um, that I was able to bring a different sort of way of thinking. And I never really sort of thought about it until, yeah, our CEO articulated in front of me. And so it was because I was able to bring that creative, creative side into my day job mm. that got me noticed. Yeah. And I was given this amazing opportunity to work with the CEO, you know, try and help define the company's yeah. strategy and all wow. these types of things for yeah. a good two years. Yeah. And then, you know, got the opportunity yeah. to work overseas in London yeah. for a year. Right. And then when I came back from London, that was when I joined the career business in yeah. a leadership role. Mm. And now I'm a senior principal yeah. in the Mercer business on a leadership team. Mm. So looking back in my career, that, you know, grad and with, with going through that, my existential crisis, yeah. understanding how how I could ever navigate a, a life where I've got this corporate life and then I've mm. got this creative life thinking that they always have to be separate. But I've come to a point in my life now where I'm fairly senior in a corporate role. I'm leading a team that is all about needing to be creative. Yeah, It's amazing. You know, I never would have thought that I would end up in a place like this. Awesome. Yeah. I also wanted to add that you didn't realise your skill set until the CEO was like, George, you have this amazing ability to do X, mm. right? And I feel like a lot of graduates don't see their own talents mm. until someone tells them they have it. It's like, yeah, yeah you're, you're good at doing that. Yeah. Like, oh, really? I am? Yeah, yeah. And it adds this value. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I feel like you did that for me um, oh, great. to a certain extent. Yeah. It's like, well, I didn't know. I, and I thought <laughs> I was horrible at Dex, yeah. but now I actually quite enjoy it. Yeah. Because I like making things perfect. <laughs> yeah. Or like communicate something very impactful. You, you can and see the value in doing it in that way. Exactly. Yeah. And keeping keep, keeping things simple. Because back when I first started, I was just putting lo like loads of text and slabs of text and I look at it now I'm like that looks so bad. I want I want I want to vomit now, you know. <laughs> so I guess you're passing on that that belief that your, your skills are transfer transferable to other mm. parts of the business mm -hmm. and um yeah, every part of your life, mm -hmm. naturally. So can you tell us a, us a bit more about how you're creative outside of work or I what, guess what you've done in the past? What I want to hear, you probably hit that point around, you said late university, mid university. Yeah. Where did that begin? Like you said, it was kind of dwelling in you maybe yeah. from the start. I'm not sure that creative side, mm. but 
where did it come from? Where did it come from? Show me that trajectory. Yeah. Well, that trajectory was from the day I was born. (laughs) So when I was young, when I was a little kid, I never really played with toys. Mm. All I wanted to do was draw. Mm. Um, Mm. And so I would make my parents very upset. (laughs) I would draw on the walls or on tables. And, you know, especially if I didn't have paper, I would just find a crayon somewhere and draw something. Yeah. Um, Eventually, my parents realized that they just needed to buy me a table with like, you know, lots of butcher's paper, but also a table where I could draw on as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is free reign. Like, do whatever yeah, you want yeah. to this table. Yeah. Uh, but just don't draw on our walls or our couches <laughs> or yeah. whatever. And so, mm. um, yeah, I was always happiest when I had a pencil or a crayon or a texture in my hand, even at a restaurant, yeah. you know. I'll get restless. You know how kids get yeah, restless. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. my parents need to do was give me a piece of paper and yeah. a pen and I'd be very mm, happy. And yeah. so since a very young age, I was always creative. I yeah. always did really yeah. well in art at school yeah. and everything. Yeah. Um, but, you know, coming from an Asian family, yeah. art is not a serious, you know, career choice. Like yeah. it's not considered something as, as a career choice. Yeah. And so my parents always treated it as, oh yeah, she's good at art, but it's just a hobby. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a very, like, yeah. yeah, I feel like there's a very common thing in Asian culture. They expect you yeah. to, to learn piano, yeah. art, to play a sport, but then it's like, oh, I want to play tennis. I want to pursue that, you know, professionally. Like, no, you must become a lawyer. Yeah. Because they, I feel like they see it more as like a, a show-off kind of thing. Like, yeah. My, my like, daughter can do this. Yeah. yeah. If you play, like you practice piano so much, like I want to be a piano master, yeah. but then your parents are like, no, 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 no. Just make sure when the family comes, you can like play piano in front of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you can be a piano master, but so long as you're also a lawyer, yeah, or an engineer, or a doctor, yeah. or an accountant, or whatever you know, some those kind of mm, like, exactly. things are. So, um, yeah, so art was always a big part of my life. Um, yeah. And when yeah, when I was at uni, it was when it was it was really coming up to that surface where it's like. Oh my god, I'm outside of I'm out of school now. Mm. You know, I get to choose my life now. Yeah. Like yeah, uni, yeah. you know, I'm not you know beholden to a particular trajectory. Yeah. And so that was when yeah, first wave of the existential crisis came about because like oh my god, I get to choose yeah. Yeah. where my life goes. Yeah. Um, and this engineering and commerce stuff isn't doesn't feel right. Mm. Um, and so yeah, so that's sort of when that came to the surface, yeah. and I was like, actually, maybe I'd be much happier studying art. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But long story short, actually, I'm really glad that my parents made me stick it through, mm. made me get a proper job, yep, yep. because you know when I moved into um, working in my on my art practice, yeah. um, I would obviously hang out with lots of different artists yep. um, who worked day jobs to pay their bills. Yeah. But their day jobs were, you know, waitering, you know, working in, you know, environments where they had to be on their feet all day, low skilled, meant that they didn't really have enough, you know, as much energy to work on their practice afterwards. It was very, you know, manual. Um, And so, um, and, you know, when you work in those jobs, Mm. the pay is really bad. Yeah. And a lot of artists actually struggled to maintain their practice because they, you know, they had to pay for their materials. They need to pay for a gallery space. You know, all that kind of stuff is actually really expensive to be an artist. Yeah. and when I was going through that myself, I was actually really thankful that I had a well-paying corporate job mm. because there was actually not many artists who had that privilege yeah. of having a well-paying corporate job yeah, yeah. Um, to support your practice. And, and where you end up finding is your creative freedom 
can sometimes be limited if you feel you need to make a living from your art. Yeah, that is true. As yeah. opposed to having free reign to yeah. do whatever it is you want to explore in your art without yeah, yeah, the pressure yeah. of Good. wanting to sell it. Yeah. Because I feel like if you're also yeah. stressed about financial things and yeah. you know what you're gonna pay, when are you gonna pay the next bill? Yeah. You can't fully like go like be creative because mm-hmm. you you have other parts of your life that are kind of you have to focus on. Yeah. But yeah. once yeah, once you eliminate that, it's like you can focus fully on your creative side. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. it's funny, like a long-winded mm. way of, you know, how my that creative side, my professional side kind of yeah. intersected was mm. they both benefited one yeah. another. Yeah. So my creative side allowed me to do things at work that mm. other people may not be able to do mm-hmm. because it gave me a different skill set, a different way of thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that boosted my career because I had mm. a unique skill set yeah, that I'm, differentiated me from other people. I'm seeing it as in like um, an affinity loop where it's yeah. like, okay, so I'm creative, therefore it's helped my work. My work has given me money. Now that money can help me become an artist and, yeah, and just kind of goes, yeah. you know. Allow me to become a better a good artist. Ba- a good balance. Absolutely. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, actually, I my art practice for many years, I was exploring the corporate life as well. It gave mm-hmm. me a lot of fuel for my creativity. Yeah. I, I want to yeah. hear about, about these, that yeah. detail, about yeah. like what mm. actually your art output or what the ideas concerning that side really is yeah so i started off in my art practice doing you know paintings Mm. i was like an oil painter and um i love painting generally and i thought okay this is a great way for me to express myself yeah and um i was painting you know from realist paintings through the abstract paintings but the ideas that i was exploring just didn't feel intellectually stimulating enough for me and then i kind of sat down and thought about it i'm like well what is it that i experience every single day Mm. that gives me lots of highs but also lots of lows that I want to explore in my artwork and it it just came to me all of a sudden actually the corporate life the corporate world and trying to Mm. survive in a corporate world as a creative person yeah was such a great area for me to explore in my work and so I then also naturally moved away from painting because painting as a medium was very limiting for mm. me to explore the ideas that yeah, I wanted. Yeah, and mm. so my practice then moved into a more conceptual practice. So I'll give you a few examples of some of my exhibitions that I did. One of them was I went around the office looking for um, signs of human failure. Mm. So, you know, when you, you know, try and staple a fat document, yeah. the staple doesn't really go through. Yeah. And you end up with this mangled staple. Yeah. So I picked up things like that as a specimen <laughs> of human failure. Yeah. I also picked up like you know paper that went through the printer that jammed. When people print sticker labels, yeah. they put it the wrong way around, and so it prints on the other side instead yeah. of on the other <laughs> stickers. I took things like that. Yeah. I took paper clips that were all mangled as well. Um, pens that were chewed on. Mm. Anything that had evidence in the office of of human touch and yeah. like and human error yeah. so yeah. Awesome. i then created an art exhibition where i displayed these objects like it was a museum mm. <laughs> like everyone look at these objects and yeah. study them right like like yeah. you like you went to a science museum yeah, or something yeah, yeah, and you looked yeah. at fossils right yeah, yeah, yeah. the reason why i did that exhibition was because the corporate world has this innate fear of failure mm. it has this innate fear of showing the human side Right, we must operate really well. We must hit our targets. We yeah. must, you know, all these types of things. And I, as a as a human working in the corporate world and I'm being very, you know, high EQ type person, mm. I always wondered about that. I always wondered about the human element to yeah. the corporate world of this shiny, mm. perfect entity 
that corporates try to, you know, project. project. But underneath that, you've got people who is very messy lives. You've got people who are dealing with family issues. You've Mm. got people who are grappling with imposter syndrome, you know, and always trying to be this perfect thing. And so I wanted to show the human side of, of the corporate world without diving into the lives of people. Let's just look at objects that, that, represent, pe- that, that. Represented that represented the, humans, yeah. the human element. And I'm not yeah. saying that, you know, failure is bad. I'm just saying that it's just part of being human and it's part of being, you know, at work and, you know, sitting at a desk all day and all yeah. the things that happen, you know. Yeah. And so that was one of my shows. Mm. Another show I did was I looked at the working environment. So I, mm. I like, analyzed how office spaces were designed. Yeah. And I read into a lot of research about how, you know, even the lighting, mm. the, the lighting temperature, the mm. temperature of the room, how desk spaces were, you know, organized yeah. yep. in order to increase human performance. Yeah. So um, I then was exploring the Mercer office <laughs> as yeah. how, how is this conducive to human performance? And yeah. so I um, explored it in several ways for an exhibition. I did some drawings of like floor plans yeah. mm. of desks. Yeah. So... If you were to like have a bird's eye view of like an office floor plan yeah. and all the desks all clustered around, mm. if you removed all the drawings um, of the, say, the, the walls and the meeting rooms and you just yep. drew the, the, the desks desk. formations, yep, yep. it was actually a beautiful pattern. Wow. Um, and so I made these like really geometric pattern drawings wow. that looked just like patterns, but actually were, were, were desks. Wow, yeah. okay. Spaces that people spent a lot of time in, yeah. right? And yeah. so trying to, yeah, draw out things like that. But I also then filmed myself working in parts of the office that weren't conducive to working. So oh. I sat in the fire escape <laughs> in the stairwell. So mm-hmm. I had a GoPro in a corner and I just yeah. spent the day working yeah. in the fire in escape. The fire escape. <laughs> and then I also was working um, in the kitchen. So yep. this was back when the, the kitchen was a lot busier and mm-hmm. bigger. Yeah. yeah. So I was sitting in the kitchen yeah. while everyone was fixing their lunch and yeah. I'm trying to work. Yeah. And then I also... This was the scariest one because Uh, I got a lot of like people looking at me weirdly. (laughs) I sat in the elevator in the lift. Uh, Oh (laughs) wow! I literally rode the lifts up and down. I sat in the corner of my laptop trying to do my work, and so people like walking into the lift going, "What the hell are you doing?" (laughs) So I'm trying to work. I I was thinking of a fourth place. I was like. Toilet. On the toilet? No. Yeah, that could do that could <laughs> be I probably couldn't film in the toilet though. That was yeah. probably uh, breaching some privacy <laughs> issue right there. So, yeah, so uh, I did that. Uh, what was interesting in the lift was I got motion sickness very quickly. Oh, no. So I couldn't yeah. work in there for very long. Yeah. And then I also drew a lot of um, research from research papers, like graphs um, from research papers showing, you know, at certain mm. temperatures. So like at apparently the best working temperature for human brains yeah. is at around like 22 degrees or something like that. Yeah. Any much higher performance starts dropping, anything lower yeah. performance starts dropping. And so yeah. I was drawing all these like curves, you know, showing human performance and office yeah. design, yeah. you know. That was bringing my logical, you know, yeah, analytical yeah. engineering <laughs> brain and that science brain into things yeah. and yeah. Um, at the intersect of humans and, and design. And so, yeah, so that was one show. Another show I created these pretty much Rep- replicated an office in, in an art gallery. Yeah, right. Um, and so people come to an art gallery, ex- gallery expecting to see artwork, but instead they see an office, office. <laughs> or an office instead, and just trying to create that 
you know, yeah, yeah, that, that feeling. feeling. Yeah. Um, that sounds awesome. So a lot of my work was, yeah, around, yeah, exploring the corporate world, exploring mm. why people spent so much time here. Yeah. <laughs> mm. do, do you still pursue art outside of work now? Uh, yes, I do. Not as much as I did before, mm. because obviously being in a leadership role, my job is now a lot more demanding. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm also getting a hu- my huge creative fill at work. At work, yeah. So yeah. I don't feel like I need to fill that being satisfied at, yeah. outside of work as much anymore. Yeah. I still love art. I still yeah. go to art galleries. I yeah. still, you know, maintain a practice at home. You know, I'm not as hungry as I was before in terms of seeking opportunities to do exhibitions. Yeah. You know, I still am creative. But it's because my day job now is actually super creative. I'm creative all the time. Yeah. That I don't feel like I need to yeah. make it up for it somewhere else. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to delve further into it. Because you, you said your, very, your first ex- exhibition, it talked about showing the human element in the workplace and like mm. that yeah. people fail, people struggle with things. Do you have any moments in your career where you failed pretty badly as a creative person and, and how did you overcome that? So obviously being a creative person you're always looking for new ways of thinking, new ways of working, new ways of bringing new ideas into the business. Um, And so I was involved in Mercer's very first innovation committee. This was many years ago. And we, as a committee, were thinking about how do we make Mercer as a whole a more innovative organisation. And at the time, you know, we weren't versed in the whole topic of corporate innovation which you know is a whole field right now we were quite a little bit naive in terms of thinking about how we could actually turn the whole ship around and make it more innovative and so we we came up with you know a bunch of initiatives we created a innovation lab we created a innovation month where every week there was a whole Mm. series of activities that we brought you know the whole business together to you know ideate or think differently Mm. run events Mm. that kind of sparked people's curiosity brought guest speakers in from other innovative companies to talk about what is it that they do and how do they bring innovation to their organizations and we thought great if we can run an innovation month then we can you know run a a innovation lab and then run an innovation challenge and get everyone to submit their ideas we would become a more innovative organization Mm. right yeah but we did all that and it was all very cool and very exciting and energizing but after all that happened like everyone just went back to their desks and and nothing much changed nothing much changed they just did whatever they did before and Mm. we had all these new ideas on how to like solve problems for the business but no one wanted to take it on and actually implement them either and and drive them you know there's always ideas yep Mm. but how do you implement them yeah and so my biggest learning from that was that Corporate innovation just doesn't come from, you know, doing fun things, you know, putting bean bags in like an office yeah. or like, you know, trying to help people to think more creatively. That It doesn't work that way. Yeah. It requires, you know, disrupting the entire organization mm. from a systems and process perspective, yep. you know, the capability through to your culture. And mm. uh, if you can't shift those three things, then it's really hard for an organization to, to be more innovative yeah yeah the the business has to be managed in a completely different way and that requires strong leadership yeah definitely nothing that a small 
you know, like-minded and enthusiastic people in an innovation committee could possibly do. Yeah. And so that actually sparked my interest in corporate innovation generally yeah. and how it's led to the role that I have now with yeah. a career business, mm-hmm. uh, leading growth and experience, which is essentially an innovation yeah. role. Yeah. And so without that experience of failing, trying to do innovation in, you know, yeah. other ways, I wouldn't have the knowledge to be able to do what I am doing now yeah. and realizing that there's, you know, a lot you have to change within yeah. an organization mm. from your processes, from how you reward people through to how yeah. you hire people, how yeah. do you develop the capability mm. um, and your systems and processes yeah. as well as your corporate culture, yeah. you know. And yeah. the thing is, if you never tried that innovation like lab or month mm. in the first place, you wouldn't have made the mistakes and learned from them. Mm. Exactly. So you're doing it better now because yeah. you did yeah. stuff up. Yeah. And, and I, I guess I, now yeah. you have like very like tangible tangible outcomes that have really affected the business. So I have one final question mm-hmm. for you, George. I'll ask it if you want. I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of people who are starting off their career, like probably you can look back on yourself when you were slaving away trying to look for those graduate jobs, <laughs> that are wrestling with this feeling of how do I be creative while moving into potentially corporate life or yeah. perhaps people who are already in corporate life yeah. starting yeah. off graduate jobs. How do you transition into a more creative role or how do you bring creativity into your role? Yeah. yeah. What are your tips and strategies for that? Yeah, so I guess the first thing I want to say is that more than ever do corporates need creative people today because we live in a very complex world. Mm. The world's moving very quickly. Mm. Yep. Corporates, in order to survive in the future, are going to need creative people because they think differently mm-hmm. and yep. they're open to new ideas. They're yep. always searching for something. And so for organizations and companies to thrive in the future, they're yep. going to need to have to learn how to navigate complexity. And mm-hmm. without creativity and without that kind of mindset of yep. curiosity, it's very hard to adapt mm-hmm. to this complex world. Yeah, And you're starting to see actually a lot of corporates changing their tune. They want creativity within their businesses. They want diverse thinking. Yeah. That old school corporate world is slowly changing and I can yeah. see it. And so if you're a creative person in the corporate world, embrace that as much as you can and see how you can bring that skill set to the work that you do and try and find people who will support your way of working yeah. try and find people who value it and go and work for those people who value it because yeah. do not whatever it is i know it's really tempting to leave the corporate world but by leaving the corporate world we're bring we're actually making a disservice to mm. the, the yeah. corporate world because yeah. they need creative people yeah. and if you're at uni and a creative person and probably don't want an office or desk job for the rest of your life my learning is that it's actually not that bad. You're actually not chained to a desk every single day. Mm. You're running between you know, different meetings. You're meeting really interesting people. You've got yeah. really interesting complex problems to solve. It's, it's not about sitting at a desk all day, which <laughs> is how I felt you know, corporate life was. Yep, yep. And yeah, and if you're creative and you're thinking about a corporate job, certainly explore it because like I said, we need more creative people yeah. in, in corporates and we need to sort of have that groundswell to sort of, you know, yeah. change the way businesses think yeah. because mm-hmm. it needs to change yeah. in order to survive in the yeah. future. I think you you summed that up pretty well. Yeah. So creatives out there, just know that you have a chance. 
Because cool. George made it. You guys can make it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, some last things uh, I'd like to say. George, if you'd like to mention any way people can reach you or any plugs that you'd like to make concerning your art and so on, mm. uh, feel free to fire away. Yeah. yeah, sure. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, just search Georgina Lee. There's actually quite a lot of Georgina Lees. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Georgina, with, um, Georgina Lee, Mercer. <laughs> yeah. Purple hair. You'll, yeah, you'll I've got it. purple hair in my photo. But it might change next month because it changes all the time. Yeah, that's probably the best <laughs> way to reach me. And yeah. then, yeah, connect with me, yeah. send me a message. I'm happy to reply. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thanks for your time, George. Yeah. That Thank was a, you. a great interview. Yeah. Thanks cool. for bringing our first guest. Pleasure. Yeah, yeah very, <laughs> very happy to. Right. Thank you. Awesome. Right. Thanks, guys. So from the Shy Guys, enjoy your weekend. <laughs> enjoy your weekend. See you guys. Bye. Bye.